1: This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Alley. Alley powered by Verizon locations are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Alley, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated, powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Alley, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. And now, onto my interview. With DJ Clark Kent,
2: I didn't get to do all of the shit that all kids got to do because I was in my crib playing racket.
1: Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it You are now talking to a silent giant Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants Wanna study their moves, silent giants Wanna know what they do, silent giants Silent giants, (laughs) y'all Welcome to the Silent Giants podcast A podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at at Corey Cambridge. This week's special guest is legendary hip-hop DJ, producer, and A&R, DJ Clark Kent. Clark is a New York City icon and one of the pioneers of hip-hop. His career started as a DJ at age 14, which later led him to become the main DJ for a rapper you may have heard of, the Notorious B.I.G. He later went to produce "Cashmere Thoughts," "Coming of Age," and the infamous "Brooklyn Finest" with Biggie and Jay Z on Jay's classic album "Reasonable Doubt." While DJing and producing, he also landed a gig at this time as an A&R at Atlantic Records. In this interview, Clark shares stories about his upbringing in Brooklyn. How he got into DJing and producing, landing his first AR job, meeting Jay Z for the first time, how he became Biggie's DJ, introducing Dame Dash to Jay Z, the making of my favorite Biggie song, The Sky's the Limit, and shares the intimate stories of being there the night Biggie was tragically shot and killed in LA in 1997. Honestly, there's so much ground we covered that I can't even fit it all in the introduction, so I'm gonna wrap it up and introduce to you the legendary DJ, producer, A&R, Brooklyn's finest, my friend DJ Clark Kent. All right, you quick one more mic check.
2: Mic check, mic check, mic check. There we go. The mic there is we go. Checked. Uh uh uh. Yeah yeah. Well, he about to spit a burst. No, I got bars. I, oh, I'm,
1: I'm a oh, rapper. That's I, why. I'm, that's why I moved to New York. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I respect it. I, I rap on the theme song of the show. Serious? Yeah, I'm okay. a really I'm really a rapper.
2: I believe you. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the man. What's up, Clark Kent? How are you I'm, doing, man? Uh, first, please just call me Clark, and um, I'm good, and I'm glad to be here.
1: Hey, I'm I'm happy to have you here, my man. It's such a pleasure.
2: It's an honor. I appreciate it. How, how's the day going? I mean, my
1: day is great as long as I'm breathing through it. There, everything's everything. There we go. There we go, my man. Like we were talking about earlier, you kind of remind me of just the the quintessential story of what New York City is about um, from your upbringing. Uh, coming from panamanian descent you were born in panama
2: yeah uh, when did you make the move to new york uh, two months old two months old I'm, oh. a, I'm a new yorker i'm I'm a brooklyn boy but you know I, my legality it was married i was born in brook i was born in panama raised in brooklyn
1: what's it like growing up in a panamanian like that's something i've um you
2: have real rules not like american kids um you have uh responsibility not like american kids um, and family is, is is extremely important, not too much like American kids. It's mm. a it's, it's a the upbringing rooted in the culture and knowing who you are, if if that makes some sense to you. Mm. You know, like when you look at a a, a a Jewish neighborhood, the people actually care more about being Jewish than they care about being rich. Uh, Mm. You go into an Italian neighborhood, they care more about being Italian than they care about being rich. And in America, just regular Americans care more about being rich than they care about actually being a group of people. So they don't trust and care about each other the same way. Unlike people of Caribbean descent, like they kind of all understand who they are and what they come from. So they care about each other a different way. Mm. Yeah, I always say when I moved to New York is when black got complicated because black was complicated when it moved to to America because there was no such thing as black.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, like in Virginia, mm-hmm. even though you're Panamanian and you mm-hmm. have a different cultural upbringing than you know, I would right, right. being a, like a descendant of slavery mm-hmm. like in America, right? Uh, we will all be lumped in as the same, right? Like there would be no, uh, if you were to say, "Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm Panamanian, Caswell, Virginia," be like, "Man, get out of here, man! You black."
2: Yeah, yeah, until they start to realize what your house is like. Exactly. I mean, it, it's everywhere. It's the same thing. So they 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 they, they decided what they're going to call you until they really get to know you, and then they realize things are a little different with each person that you come across. Like to say all white people are white makes no sense because again, you're going to have Dutch, you're going to have British, you're gonna German, have Italian, yeah. you're gonna have German, and are all of those people the same? No. Uh, what did no. your, your parents do? Uh, my mother was the vice consul general of Panama, and she was an opera singer. Oh wow! Yeah,
1: you know, I, I ask this question a lot to every person on the show uh, because there's always going to be a correlation. We like to think of our, our, ourselves as being outliers or different, mm-hmm. uh, but we tend to always gravitate to what our parents do. Like our parents have a humongous impact on who we become, our parents, and our location of where we're born. I agree. So typically, if I meet someone, let's say uh, Bruce Wedeen, who recorded Michael Jackson's Michael Jackson. Thrill
0: album.
2: Yeah.
1: His dad was a, a TV production. Mm-hmm. Worked in, oh, he was a, a radio production person. I get that. Works in sound. Right. He naturally has an inclination for sound. For sure. Uh, how did your mother have a role on, on your
2: musical upbringing? Um, she was an opera singer, but she... Loved music period, so there was always music in our house and um my grandmother loved music, so and I lived with her most of my life, and she loved music, so there was always music in the house and if you have any idea anything about Caribbeans, if you go back to the Caribbean countries, the music you heard there was so many different kinds of music when you come to the United States, you go to a uh, a New York City, they don't say, they, you won't turn on the radio and hear a rock record, a country record, uh, a pop record, and an R&B record. You're going to hear an R&B station, a pop station, a rock station, and so on. And in, the, in Caribbean countries, when you turn on the radio, you hear all kinds of music. So when you're brought up knowing that there's all kinds of music, your appreciation for it can possibly be different. And then you had a mother who sang opera, so you had to hear opera music, and he had a grandmother who loved her hymns, loved her Smokey Robinson, loved her 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 Conway Twitty or whomever. Well, Conway Twitty. But well, what I'm saying is, we we heard so and and listened to everything, so it influenced the hell out of me. I don't. I, I'm a DJ. Everybody knows I'm a DJ, and I really, really can DJ. I'm a, I'm a very good DJ, but I don't love DJing. I love music. And that's the reason why I DJ the way that I do. It's because I love the music. So I, I care for it. So I'm going to play it better than average or most.
1: Well, the, the last thing I was expecting to hear was Conway Twitty.
2: <laughs> well, well, if you. That, if, that's a country. Well, yeah. Well, I can't say I love music if I haven't heard all kinds of music. Right,
1: right, right. Uh, wh- what about your dad? Uh, I'm not sure.
2: Me too. So, yeah. how,
1: how did that shape, uh, shape who you
2: became? I'm from the hood, so it didn't shape me any crazy way because not too many kids had a father around. So, our our neighborhood, we had older guys, and the old guys who were older than you took care of the block. So it's not like they were fathers, it's like they were older brothers, and they took care of you a certain way, and if they saw you about to do something that they would do, but they knew it wasn't right, their morals would say, you shouldn't do this. Mm so we really had cool upbringing around the way and i had uh Panamanian upbringing in the house so you know like if if a if a, a father skips out does the mother quit no right so you just keep it moving earlier we talked about how
1: two things can really shape uh who you become as a person one mm-hmm. is your your parents your parental upbringings and the next will be your lo- be location mm-hmm. um how did New York City, describe New York City at this time.
2: I started DJing when I was nine. I started playing records in the house when I was five or six. How were you inspired to even do that at age nine? Um, I saw two turntables and wanted to know why I was there too. I just wanted to know how to do it. I heard mixing and was like, what are they doing? How are they doing it? And I wanted to know. And I had to learn. I had to figure it out. I didn't have a teacher. I just had someone say, that's what you use to do that thing that you hear that you keep asking about. So then I had to try to figure it out.
1: Who's was your, your first uh, maybe neighborhood musical influence? Uh,
2: my uncle or, or probably my, my grandmother more than my uncle because, like I said, I lived in her house and she had a lot of music. So musical influence would be the fact that I can go through her records and play her records. You know what I mean? So that would be like, the f- and then my mother because she was a singer. You know what I mean? And then uh, what were some of the early acts that you fell in love with initially? Oh, uh, James Brown, uh, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Marvin Gaye, um, Stevie Wonder. Like real talented folks. Jackson 5 is the ones that I, I cared about. The Silvers. Um, yeah. I cared about people who could really, really do that music thing, Ohio players. You know, real talent. Not, I got a hit song. No, just listen to the whole album and musically and sonically, it, it's great stuff. Uh, the environment around you, because this is the 1970s,
1: so hip hop is beginning to bud. I believe in seventy eight, seventy nine. Describe New York City as a
2: city at this time, like growing up in Brooklyn. Well, it, it's rough. Um, I lived in the hood, and the thing is, if you if if you lived in your hood your whole your whole life, you don't know that it's rough. Until you look back and you go, damn, we didn't have that or damn, we had to do that. But because you were just happy to be alive, you didn't uh, you didn't complain about it. You know, you wanted things and you saw things that you wanted. But you have to also remember TV looked totally different. You know what I'm saying? That if you're if you live in a hood, you don't really get to see that other side of life. So you're not tripping off of it. You know what I'm saying? You look at the Brady bunch, but you look at a Brady bunch and go, they're white. That's not us. So that can't happen. It doesn't make sense to us. We didn't look at um things enviously. We looked at it like, "Oh, we got this." Bad. You know what I mean? And then ambitions to us came from seeing hustlers. You know what I'm saying? When you when you come from the hood, like the hustler is is a superhero. You know what I mean? Mm. Um Did you
1: know early on that music would be a path you would take professionally? Yeah,
2: as soon as I figured out how to mix records, I I told my grandmother I'm gonna be a DJ for the rest of my life. Uh, How'd you learn how to mix records? Like, how'd you get gear for the first time? Okay, the first turntables I had, I uh, I stole them during the blackout of '77. (laughs) Okay, Um, I did. I was I was 11. Um, it was wrong. I I I was I was I was actually ten. It was a couple of um, about a month before my birthday. It was it was, yeah, blackout happened in the summer, and it was like a month. So I was ten, but I was I already knew how to DJ. You know, I knew how to DJ since I was nine. So all I wanted was a DJ set, and I never really put the thought together properly because if I would have, I would have went back a few times. So all I took was the turntables and this mixer. I get home. (laughs) when the lights come back on, I can't use it because I don't have amplifiers, speakers, wires. I don't have any of the stuff that makes it work. But so, so for years I had these turntables and, um, where I learned how to DJ was at my uncle's house and he had a whole DJ set, but he wasn't a DJ. So that's the thing I had to learn on my own because he wasn't a DJ. Okay. Got it. Got
1: it. And so, uh, How did you kind of... What was your first break into becoming a DJ sort of kind of professionally? Like, how did you get that that experience under your belt? uh,
2: I went to a park jam and Grandmaster Flowers was was DJing at the park jam and he had heard that I was the young kid from Union Street who was DJing and he let me play in the park jam and he couldn't believe that I knew records. See, that's the thing. I always was at the records. So... He couldn't believe I knew the records. He couldn't believe I knew how to mix the records. And he just let me play for a while. He let me play for just about an hour. And th- like that was it. Like, it, was, it was, I didn't need anything else to happen to me besides that one moment for me to know that at some point somebody might be asking me questions about stuff. Like, I knew from that moment on that, like, that's it. Like, I'm not switching the career path. There's no plan B. I'm going to be a DJ for the rest of my life. Like, that's it. Everything else is going to come off of me being a DJ. Me learn how to produce records, that's because I'm going to be a DJ. Me get to work with brands, it's because I know how to be it. I'm I'm a a great DJ. Everything that is going to happen in my life is going to be based off of the fact that I'm a DJ. So... I'm, I'm, I'm always clear enough to make sure that when you say my name, you put the DJ in front of it because that's the reason why that thing lives. That's the reason why it, it's working. That's the reason why you want to ask me questions. You might have a bunch of reasons to your thought, but the bi- base of that reason is because at, at, at like nine, I was like, I'm, I'm playing these records.
1: What was your first kind of professional opportunity? Uh, I, was, I was like
2: 14 playing a club. Or, and, and, and you're crying. in
1: school
2: this time. Yeah, but you know, school school's out on Friday and then Saturday and Sunday have to happen. So I played a club at like fourteen. But I was always six foot tall. You know what I'm saying? So it didn't I didn't look like this crazy fourteen year old. I was tall, I had facial hair, and and the thing is I could do it. So If someone knows and they're talking about it, they're not really going, well, how old is he? They're going, that's the guy from Union Street that does this. Wow. And you play clubs and you play parties and you play block parties and you do all of that. And you travel around and make sure everybody knows that that's what you do. I can't even imagine what life would have been like if we had social media back then.
1: Yeah. I mean, it would have changed the game.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: What was it like for you in school? I mean, this has to be interesting. Being fourteen years old, um, you're going to class, but yeah. you're also pursuing yeah. a, a career on the side.
2: Were you okay. popular in school? Yeah, I was. I, I was popular for a minute. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, I was popular. I, mean, I, I would imagine so.
1: Yeah. I feel like at the time, it's either you're, you're
2: a ball player or you're in music. And I was a ball player and I played football and I played baseball and I was fresh as fuck daily. <laughs> so I grew up around some guys that kind of wouldn't let you not be cool. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah. So, If you're around that and then you're cool and then you have to go into another atmosphere and then people see you in that atmosphere and they automatically just go, okay, well, he's cool. Well, then you're kind of beating the odds. You don't have to become cool when you walk in cool, Hmm. if that makes any sense at all. So I went to Brooklyn Tech my first year of high school. I was somewhat smart. By the end of the year, I was being transferred to a school upstate New York for for kids that were smart and could be troublesome. Uh, and um, I went up there and I excelled, but I was up there with the DJ set. You know what I mean? So if there was a party on the campus, I played it. If the girls' school that was up the street had a party, I played it. If the, the school that was another 10 miles away and they needed a DJ, I was known as the DJ that played everything up there. So... I'm 14 and I'm growing and life is happening. And then I'm coming home in between. Like you come home at 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 Thanksgiving, at, at Christmas, at the spring break and all of that stuff. You come home. When I come home, what am I doing? I'm in the street. I'm going to find where I need to be to be able to play a club, to be able to be in a club, to be able to play a park gym. I'm going to do it. And I did it.
1: Uh, you didn't have a car. No. Nah. Uh how do you carry around all these crates?
2: You do what you got to do. But you also have to remember, if you're in DJ crews and you might not per se be the main DJ in the DJ crew because you don't have the equipment, but somebody else does. Instead of you going to the club, it's a group we all going to the club. So you all are carrying records. You're all playing the club. It's just that I might be the best one playing the club. I just might happen to be the youngest, but the best one. But you don't even care about my age anymore because I can play. And That's what was the most important part—the fact that I can I can play for real. Uh, where'd your name com- the name come from? Uh, my name came from uh, <laughs> everybody in the neighborhood making jokes because I wear I wear glasses, so they made fun of me and oh, you your Clark Kent glasses because I had Clark Kent glasses like from old Superman TV with the with the black yeah the black friends I, I wore those when I was five six seven and the jokes were then. and once I knew that I was gonna remain this DJ I didn't have a name it was just calling me Clock Kent but I definitely reminded people you're gonna really feel stupid that you did that <laughs> and you know they feel they the feel way they stupid absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. Because then by the time I'm 15, 16, they want to make sure that they're in every party that I'm playing. But you just was making fun of me. You just, a couple of years ago, you thought it it couldn't happen. Like there's no way you're going to be DJing clubs.
1: And Was there a moment, Uh, I like to call them breakthrough or oh shit moments. Um, was there an oh shit moment in, in this period of your life where you realized, man, I, I'm really doing this? Like there is no turning back. I've yeah, hit a certain I, plateau.
2: I, I played in Lincoln Terrace Park with Grandmaster Flowers, who is Jesus Christ the DJing at that time. I played in the park. He let me play the set. Like I didn't see another DJ play the set, except him. He was doing a park jam in Lincoln Terrace Park. And everybody goes to the park jams. And it's 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 real unsafe to go to Lincoln Terrace Park unless something like this has happened. And that's super unsafe too. Because you're a kid. And, you know, you got everybody else there is older, but I get there and I'm standing next to the DJ booth. They rope it off and I'm standing next to the rope. I'm practically on the DJ set because I want to see it happen so much. And he's Grandmaster Flowers. DJ Flowers is legendary in Brooklyn. And I just want to see everything. If it's something I don't know and he's going to do it, I'm going to learn it right then and there. And um, somebody... From our area was like, yeah, that's the. And he was like, oh, you're yeah, the kid that, that, that's from Union Street who could play. And you understand, Lincoln Terrace, Union Street runs into Lincoln Terrace Park. So, at right at Rochester and Lincoln, I'm Rochester and um, Union Street is Lincoln Terrace. I live two blocks away from there. So, I'm in his face, like, what's really good? And he just was like, you want to play some records? And any kid at that point would have said no. But I believed I should be playing records. So I was like, yeah, I want to play. And he was like, God, hey, you could play a couple. And I I'm going through his records, but I'm pulling up the records I want to play. And he's going, Well, how the fuck does he know the records? So I think that more was crazy to him than the fact that I actually could play. Because it's not um mind-blowing that a 12-year-old can mix records. They got five-year-old kids mixing records now. So it's not mind-blowing, it's just the shit was unheard of then. And how does he know the records? It was more about how to, I believe, to me, I believe it was more about how does he know the records. And that was the moment. Like, as soon as I realized, oh, I could play a pot champ? Oh, y'all fucked up.
1: You know, it's something about, um, I'm reading this book right now. It's called Damn Good Advice uh, for People with Talent by George Lois. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about in his book, um, never say no to opportunity. Always say now. And that kind of reminds me of the, that moment for you in the park mm. with flowers. Just not saying no to the opportunity where some people kind of shy away from the moment. Yeah. Stepping up to the plate.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there was a possibility of me saying no. Not that day. Because I I wanted to do it so bad. And the thing is, like, I, it's not even like I wanted to do it at that precise moment for the crowd. I just wanted to play the records. Mm. I wanted to be DJing and he was DJing. I'm like, I want to fucking DJ. Like, it, it, if you got a DJ set there and you're the only one playing and no one else can play, like, I want to fucking play. I could play too. You know, just I, I don't know why, but he he let me.
1: Well, one thing about your uh, your background that I'm very very interested in and want to get into more is uh, you stepping into role of being an A an and R. Right. Uh, how did that opportunity
2: to be an A uh, Happened. um I'm friends with Timmy Regisford and I'm friends with Merlin Bob and we're all DJs okay and they were on WBLS and I was on WBLS and one day um I guess maybe the radio show that was on I broke enough records that one day Timmy goes hey you should be doing a I'm like uh okay what's a Oh, you should be making the records or you should be helping artists make records. It's called and Repertoire. You should be doing the and And I'm like, oh, okay. Because he's my man. I don't think he's going to stand me wrong. He worked at the record company. He worked at the radio station. We worked at the radio station. If he's telling me I should be doing something else, I'm looking at him like, well, you're like two years older than me. You should know. But I don't even care because I'm on the radio. I'm playing records and I'm playing every club. So I'm not even thinking that part. So he goes, go to... Um, Epic Records and work for Hank Caldwell who's his mans his mans is Hank Caldwell he's like go there you're gonna work for him I go there Hank Caldwell hires me on the spot four days later he calls and says yeah you gotta quit I'm like dude you just sent me here (laughs) like he was like yeah don't worry about it quit you're gonna go over to Atlantic and work with Merlin and I'm like "Uh, okay he's still my man so we're both we're all mans I'm surprised he didn't like say yo you should come to work at MCA with me he was like yeah, go over work with Hank. But then he was like, yeah, quit. Go over here and work with Merlin. Merlin's way more comfortable for me because we're all friends. So I went there and that was the real start of me. One, learning how to do A&R and actually doing it for real.
1: Uh, and what do you think uh, made you a good a and
2: um, I'm a DJ and I listen to every record that I get. So because of that, I can break a record because I think it's a good record. And being able to pick the record that's going to be the record is probably one of the most important parts of A&R, picking the record. Because most singers don't write. Most singers don't produce. When you get the record, it's already been, been written. It's already been sung. And then you just have a record. But you have to pick that record. So mm. at some point, before the singer starts to sing, Somebody had to say, this track is great. The song on that track is great. You you sing the song that's on the track and it's going to be great.
1: Mm. That kind of reminds me, there's a, a Quincy Jones quote where he speaks of, um, uh, it's not the artist that makes the song, it's the song that makes the song. No,
2: the song is the most important part. Yeah. Look, Think about it. There's artists who can't sing. And if they get a great song, you're not even going to remember that they can't sing. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You're just, you're just not. It's the song. The song is everything. I I, I stress it to artists. I stress it to rappers. I stress it to producers. I stress it to singers. Like, no matter what you do, no artist is big unless they have a song. And a song can change everything. Like, everything. Like, you could have been out of the game for five years. You get a song, and that song is good. It's trouble. A song is everything. It's the most important part. Mm, mm. You get a, listen, you get a great song. If you get a great song, anybody can sing it. That's a good point. Anybody can sing it. How many times have you heard Ain't No Mind High Enough? The song's amazing. The song is. And it's been fucking, covered a million times. Right. No matter what the genre. Is. That's what I'm saying. Right. How many times have you heard it? You've heard it on a bunch of singers, a bunch of different genres. Jo- work to do. I got work to do. Mm -hmm. It's been done by a ton of artists. Great song. It's the song. It's not the artist. It's the song. Some artists bring it to life better, but everybody's going to get a record out of it if it's a great song. That's why Prince is a fucking genius because he can make a great song Give it to 10 different people, 10 different people sing it, still put it on his album and you'll think that shit is something different. That it's not the same, nothing compares to you than that this chick did. No, it's the same song. That's not the same I feel for you that Shaka Khan did. Yeah, it's the same song. (laughs) The song was fucking great. Yeah. It's the song. Songs are everything. It's
1: just everything. It's the song. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to break into your producing. For Jay Z, Biggie, you know, those folks. Cool.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve
1: today. All right, we're back. (laughs) So uh, tell me me some of the acts that you signed early on um, over at
2: Atlantic. Okay. Uh... When I got there, we signed MC Light, we signed Audio Two, we signed we signed uh, the DOC, we signed Yo Yo, we signed Michelle A, we signed Dos Effects, we signed we we signed uh, Original Flavor, um, we signed a lot. Speaking of Original Flavor,
1: right? They had a song mm-hmm. uh, that had Jay Z on
0: it. You know it Hey, y'all,
2: can I get open? You know it. You want to fly style? Jay's about to show it. Well, call can I? It's never a question of how, but when I rip it, will I quit it? Forget it. Still I always on point whenever I hit it. Ain't forbidden. Don't do what I done it. Too late. Y'all did it. I that, track, uh, um first time I met him was at Fresh Gordon's house. It was super short, and I didn't get to hear him rap, but I just met him, and then I had to leave. And then the next time I was at Fresh Gordon's house, the song that he was working on with Jazz, I heard it, and I was like, "Yo, who the who the fuck is this?" And and uh, he told me it was his boy Jay, and he took me to the projects, and
1: I met him. Uh, and what was that? The, what was that like being there uh,
2: to meet him for the first time? Um, well, not for the first time, but I mean, it, it was it was cool. It's just that I wanted to actually hear him rap because. If you knew anything about rap in Brooklyn, like Jazzo was like untouchable. And for anybody to be able to stand next to him and rap, it's kind of crazy. So I wanted to know who this guy was, like for real. So I went, I met him. He rapped. He was crazy. And I just was like, this is, this is amazing. And it's like, he might have been 16 or 17.
1: Uh, did it scream, um, star quality?
2: Yeah. He was a star on site.
1: Uh, Because what qualifies a a star or that if actor on site for you?
2: Um, You can carry what you say. And he could carry everything he said. And for me, being a star has something else to it. Like, I I don't know about like what most people see, but like when I hear the artists do what they're doing, I want to be able to believe them. If I believe them, their career is going to last to me like so if i would have heard jeezy the first time i would have heard jeezy if i'd have heard jeezy i'd have felt like i believed him and i'd have been like yeah he's a star Mm -hmm. there's no way that if i heard that guy that he would be retired right now
0: Mm
2: -hmm. because he's he's too believable you know what i'm saying he's believable like we know some artists that talk about things that they just don't do or they haven't done, but they say it so well that you believe them. That thing is what makes you some other shit. Wow. Uh,
1: how did it come to be that you also knew Dame? Yeah, you're you're like the glue. You were you were the Chef Gordon. Do you know who Chef Gordon is? Yeah, you are the Chef Gordon of hip hop. Mm. I don't know. I, 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 uh, in the sense that Shep is just a person, right. Who just brings love, but also can bring people together. Right. That's and, what and, I more do, I'm, and that's I'm a more talent. Connect.
0: I'm
2: more connect.
1: That's an extreme talent. Yeah. Within itself, there are some people who solely do
2: right the connecting role. Yeah, but, um, in that role, you have to accept that you're probably not gonna get famous for it, and that that has to be cool. Like to me, I'm comfortable with that. I don't care to be. Lauded as the guy who put these guys together, I care about that. When I do put them together, something great happens. If something great happens, shh, I'm good. And something big, great. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Something great happened.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, how did you meet Dame? Um, he he had original flavor. The group original flavor was his group. Got it. So okay, he was sitting in the lobby. Or in the the waiting area at Atlantic Records, and he was waiting for his meeting with an A and R at Atlantic. And when I walked out, he was there. I was like, "Who y'all waiting for?" And they were like, uh, "Such and such." And I was just like, yeah. "And I was like, come on, I, I'll meet with y'all.'" Because he's like, "We got this artist." It was him and his cousin Darian, and they were Dash Entertainment. And I sat down and I listened, and I was like, "Oh, I like these kids," and I did. It was Original Flavor and a group called the Future Sound. And Original Flavor, one of the guys in Original Flavor, I could automatically um, tell who he was. I was like, is that S-K? And he was like, yeah, Wilski. I was like, yeah, that's Wilski from um from the Busy Boys out of North Carolina. He was like, you know him? I was like, yeah, he's my boy. I met him in the 80s. And was like, if you ever come to New York, I'm going to give you a record deal. And he came to New York, but he didn't come in contact with me. came in contact with Dane. So I gave him a record deal on on site. Like, yeah, I'm going to give you a record deal because it's Ski. Mm. Ski is a producer. He's a dope rapper. He's going to figure it out. So, Did did you uh, recognize in Dame uh, the equality? What I recognize in Dame is that he wasn't going to um, take no for an answer. You know what I mean? And he wasn't really trying to hear what you might have been thinking that might have been a good reason for you to chill. But if it, if it wasn't equivalent to what he was thinking, it just didn't matter. And if you have somebody who's going to fight for you like that, it's really going to be hard to lose. And what made you decide to put Jay and, and Dame together
1: or or connect them?
2: Um, I have a, a thing about me. Like if we're friends and friends should be able to do things together. And Dame was my friend. And Jay was my friend. I had to first get Jay to say, yes, he would rap. But then I was telling him, yo, this guy, Dame, he manages Rivers Flavor. You might want to meet him. He'd probably be a good manager. Yo, Dame, I got the best rapper in the whole goddamn universe. He's the best MC you'll ever hear. I oh, he ain't that good. Trust me. The best you'll ever hear. And I had to make him believe that Jay was the best. And then I had to make Jay believe that he's he'll be a good
1: manager. Uh, obviously, Jay had... Uh Insane mind and creative talent as an MC, and you have Dame, who's you know a relentless mm-hmm. kind of entrepreneurial spirit, go getter type guy. Yeah. Did you see? Did Jay have a manager at that time,
2: or was no. he not at all? I, I basically was like both of their manager. <laughs> mm. So you, you played GM. Kind of, sort of, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, because like Dame didn't Dame and Darian didn't know the music business, but they were connected to me who gave them their deal so they're going to learn the music business on the fly through me you're going to learn it you're going to feel every bump when you're going over it because i'm not going to sugarcoat it for you i'm going to make sure that you know it so you know it know it know it so when the fucked up shit is about to happen you see it Hmm. you know what i mean so when you when they're not promoting your record a certain way you were aware of why and how and now going forward on whatever next situation you get it's never going to happen again when did you know that the, the two of them were going to click um when they met or actually yeah when they met because you can say all that you want to say until you meet a person it it, it don't mean nothing
1: uh where, where did they meet
2: at mossy so i had to take damon to to brooklyn which was another trial because he just believed that all brooklyn people were robbers and robbers and thieves <laughs> Like, I kid you not. Like, he never really believed that I was from Brooklyn. Cause I spent so much time uptown. And I was super comfortable. And wild people uptown knew me. So he just believed Clark's a liar. He's not from Brooklyn. He's not from Brooklyn. He's from uptown. He be uptown and he's fresh. So he definitely is from uptown. That was his thing. He was like, no, you, you too fresh to be from Brooklyn. And I was just like, you sound dumb. Like, you think Brooklyn guys don't get fresh. Like, so. In those times, you didn't hear about Harlem people coming to Brooklyn for a party. You didn't hear about Harlem people or Queens people coming to Brooklyn for a party or Manhattan, Staten Island. Nobody came to Brooklyn for a party. Brooklyn, you go. Brooklyn's in the house. In any other borough, you get a crowd that is like, "Yeah, fuck it, we here." <laughs> there's, there's like no laughter to that. We went the hardest.
1: Uh, how did it feel for you to uh, see Rockefeller become what it became?
2: Uh, I wasn't surprised, so I expected it to be. Mm. I uh, I didn't introduce them for them to fail. I didn't. I again, that there wasn't a plan B. They had to win. And your your skills as a producer,
1: mm-hmm. uh, uh, I'm always fascinated by. Anr is like Lil John was an Anr. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also a producer at the same time. So like right. Ghost Town DJ is my boo. Mm-hmm. He wrote and produced that record. Mm-hmm. Uh, how were you able to finesse being an AR and a producer? And and when did you hone that producer? I was a producer first.
2: I was a producer before I became an I was like the record that I think made somebody say, "Yo, you should be doing A and R." Was "Spread My Wings"? I made the record before I had a job. The troop record. Right. Yeah. And I I learned how to make beats. In Herbie Lovebuck's studio, I learned how to make beats in front of Molly Ma. Like, like these are the people. These these are my my um my 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 my, my constituents. I didn't learn by happenstance. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, you got people who have to find somebody to be apprentices for. Like these guys never taught me. I just saw them do it and was like, oh, I'm gonna go get a drum machine. I'm gonna do that shit. And they didn't go, this is how you make a beat. They were like, I just watched. We in a studio. Oh, didn't even know it was producing. You know what I'm saying? Like Herbie Lovebug one time pulled me to the side and was like, this is producing. This is how you get paid with it. Reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. How did it come to be that you were
1: going to be uh, producing uh, on, on the record, on the album? He was my artist.
2: What am I not going to do? I was making his records in the first place. 80% of the records that were made before we made Reasonable Doubt were made by me. So it was the building of what would become Reasonable Doubt, the most important record to get to Reasonable Doubt. is not on the album, but it's the most important record. I produced that record. The record that made big say, okay, I'm going to put up this money was a record I made. What was that record? Mm-hmm. Uh, reach the top. time mm-hmm.
1: That was a record that didn't make the
2: album. It wasn't supposed to be on the album. But it could have been on an album. Yeah. But it wasn't. The record that didn't make the album didn't make the album because we couldn't find the dat. And it was called Tell Me How It Feels. You couldn't find the dat? Couldn't find it. You have to understand, like, that's how cavalier the process was. Oh, we can't find the dat. Okay, it's not on the album. It's not. Go find the dat. It's, can't find it. It's not on the album.
1: Yeah, but how did the initial process of you and Jay coming together to to make music together?
2: I had to ask him a lot. <laughs> can we make these records I, first of all I had to find him like I found Jazz up and I was like yo I want to do an album on you and Jay, you and Jay. I want to sign you and Jay he was like "I, right, you gotta find Jay and I was like no 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 you gotta find Jay he was like I don't know where he's at so I, I first had to find him and then when I found him I was like yo me you and Jazz let's make these records he was like man fuck that corny shit <laughs> And I was like, dude, we got to make these records. He comes up, we we get to the talk, and he goes, yeah, but my man's coming too. And I'm like, who's your man? Sauce Money. So I'm like, okay. Sauce Money's fucking amazing too. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, so you telling me I get to work with three of the best MCs I've ever heard? Bad. So I'm just going to make these records on them. So we're going to make an album. And we started to work together. There were times when... Jazz O wasn't around, times when Sauce wasn't around, and Jay would be at my house. So, or so it became more of Jay was more around than anybody else. So the thought of us making this, this album as a group kind of became, well, we working on Jay solo. And then we was working on Sauce Solo. And Jazz was a producer, so it wasn't necessarily that I was working on him because he made music and produced himself. So It became more of, I'm working on Jay, and I'm working on Sauce, and I'm working on them together, because there's a lot of records of them together, and I made practically all of them. But Jay worked faster and harder than everyone else. So if I'm in the studio doing a remix, Jay, come to the studio, get on this remix. Yo, we got time. I got a 24-hour session. Took eight hours to do the remix. For the next 12 hours, we're going to make records. Mm. You know what I'm saying? We're going to make records in the studio on someone else's budget. That's what we're going to do. And then one day I realized that I was doing the wrong thing. And if somebody found out, I could get fired. So I, I built a studio in my house to make Jay's records. What were you doing that was that was wrong? Um, Using the time that was being paid for by another artist to produce another artist. Got it. Got it. Uh, also, too,
1: you're, you're uh, in A&R Atlantic this time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Jay couldn't was having a hard time finding a deal. No, we we didn't start looking for the deal. We were putting the records together, and then when we put the record deal together, we couldn't get a deal. Even though you're in A yeah, she told me no. My boss told me no. My my, my boss told me no to Nas <sighs> because Nas didn't have a demo. So that, in all fairness, he didn't have a demo. I was gonna sign Akinelli, and Akinelli his album. Was done when he was shopping his deal, like which was crazy because Lost Professor went in the studio, locked in, did Akineli's whole album, and then shopped it. So I was going to sign it and it got into a bidding war with um, Interscope with Jimmy Iovine. And the thing is we lost the bidding war, which was kind of stupid because Jimmy Iovine's label went through Atlantic. (laughs) So it was almost like we were battling ourselves. So I had to bow out because I'm not Jimmy Iovine. So I can't offer the same way I can make my offers. And then it goes up to Sylvia and she has to deal. She has to deal with whether she's going to match or not match, but she's the president of Atlantic or the vice president of Atlantic. So you got another vice president who has a label deal through Atlantic. Are you going to go battle with this guy who's part of your crew anyway? No, go ahead. You can have him. So I lost Acanelli to Jimmy Iovine, which is perfectly fine. I'm cool, <laughs> but Ox Little Mans is not. And I'm like, I want the Nas kid, So he brings Nas to the office. I'm like, where's he demo? He's like, we ain't got a demo. I'm just like, you fucking kidding me. This is fresh oh off the God. barbecue. Like fresh. Live off the barbecue. I go to Hell for of Jesus. Oh yeah, let me get that guy. Bring him here. He sits down in my office. I'm like, give me the demo. He's like, I don't have a demo. Now I'm, I'm, I automatically go, fuck, I can't sign you without a demo. I can't even ask her. I can't even say, yo, we need to do this. Well, because I thought he was so special. I went into Sylvia's office and was like, you got to come here, Nas. Just let him rhyme for you. He doesn't have a demo? No. Uh, Yeah, no, we need a demo. And I had to go back in the room and tell him, I can't sign you without a demo. I even had to give him a, a, a... uh, 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 an actual—I uh, had to give him an idea of how serious that was. I said, "We we just signed Effects, they had a whole album done. Oh so imagine DosFX, who was going crazy—they were the shit—and Nas, who I can't sign because he doesn't have a demo. And this was before I find Jay, so I could have signed Nas if he had a demo." Jay, big, like imagine being able to work with all three.
1: What What That's, was the reason for not signing
2: for not signing Jay? Because Jay I, had demos. Okay, you know what? You know what's crazy? Ask every A and R that didn't sign him. They're gonna sound dumb to you, and they're only gonna sound dumb because he's who he is. But they just couldn't see what I could see. They just they just couldn't.
1: Because to me, it just sounds like undeniable
2: talent. This, it, it. one one and I was like oh he sounds like Tretch and now, be clear like Tretch is my man and I think he's dope and I'm like where does he sound like Tretch like how Like it, I'm, I was confused and I just thought to myself this is insane it was so insane that I got so mad that I quit my job <laughs> I, I quit my job I went to work at another company and then we decided we were going to do it on our own and that was that. I went to the other company and then was like, fuck the other company too.
1: Uh, how did it come to be the um, Brooklyn's
2: finest? Yeah.
1: You being the glow. H- how did you get Biggie and Jay on the sa- on the same record?
2: It, it, the hardest part was getting Jay to say, okay. Because he didn't know him, but I was Biggie's DJ. So understand me, I'm Biggie's DJ, but I'm Jay's DJ by default. So when this thing pops off, I'm going to be like, "Peace, big. You know what I'm saying? I'm Jay-Z's DJ. I'm, I'm half of the group. We're a group. <laughs> Jesus. But I'm on the road. I'm touring with Big and I'm going back and forth, making the records, making the album. Wait, how'd you become Big's DJ? Uh, Mark Pitts, who oh, exactly. was his manager.
1: Exactly. Famous. Exactly. Yeah,
2: he was. Yeah, he's famous. Super famous now. But yeah. he was just, he was one of the managers on, on Big and And everybody who was part of Big's management team were guys that were like younger brothers to me. So Wayne, who is Wayne Barrow, who is Mark Pitts' cousin, Mark Pitts, who was like my little brother, (laughs) like he's managing Big while Big is at bad boy. He manages Big because Mark Pitts went to school with Puff. And now that's. Well, fuck them. Yeah, you manage Big. That's where it's going to go down. And he managed Big. And he's like, it's time for Big to do some shows. He's about to He's about to put this record out. It's going to be crazy. And I heard all the records. And he was like, yo, we need you to DJ for Big. I'm like, bet. In my mind, I'm going, it's only going to last a certain amount of time. Because as soon as we put this reasonable doubt out, it's over. But it 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 didn't happen that way
1: and what was big uh like performing or his like pre show rituals or what was well, it like before I, the I,
2: show? I, I don't know necessarily well the pre-show rituals was be high just <laughs> just smoke some weed seize roll up get some get some weed get something to drink go on stage and and do your records the 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 thing was to make sure that what we did on stage was important show wise so Before we went on the road, we spent a lot of time at my house just coming up with ways to make the show better than just you going up there and performing your records. So that was an important part, the fact that he trusted me to make him a good show. Mm -hmm. The same way... Puff trusted me to make him a good show when he went out to do the No Way Out tour. He was like, yo, I want you to be my DJ. Being my DJ means that I got to really have something to say, so I'm going to help you with your show. Same way Jay did when he went out on the tour with Puff. It was, we got to make a good show. So you sit down with somebody who can make it, same way Nas did when he was going back out on the tour. He was like, yo, I need a good show. only tells him, Clark makes good shows. We sit down. I make one of his best shows. And what goes into making uh, making Flo. a dope show. Flow. Flow is everything. It's the way that it happens when you get on stage, what you see, what you hear. It's all about flow. And the show has to keep going.
1: This really goes back to the point you made about how uh, being the DJ is the core of everything that you do. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, that goes right back into right. You know, transitioning songs. Right. How the music happens. It's, wow. it's everything. Wow. Uh, and, and so how did you convince, going back to the earlier point, how did you convince Jay uh, to get big on, on the album,
2: um, I just asked him, and he was like, "We don't. I don't know him." And you know, Dame was like, "Yeah, and fuck that. We ain't giving Puff no money." And I was like, "Well, I know him. You know, I know him. I'm on the road with him. Like, let me just, why don't you let me see." And he was like, "If you, if you get him to say yes, and it's all good. We'll see." I got him to say yes because I know he wanted to beat in the first place. So I brought him upstairs. I did it real funny style. So I we were, I was at Unique Studios before recording for Junior Mafia. Okay. So I know I got a session at a certain time with with Jay, but I, we're going through beats for Junior Mafia. And he heard Brooklyn's Finest Beat by accident. He was like, he wanted that. And I'm like, you can't have it. It's for this guy. He's like, yo, you give him everything. That bullshit. And And then I was like, I was like, nah, you can't have it. Some more beats played. He heard another beat that was for Mad Skills, and I was like, nah, that's for my man, Mad Skills. You like fuck that shit. Uh. Later on, Skills makes the record and puts Biggie's voice on it. So I'm just like, dog, he was <laughs> he wanted the beat, and you you're killing it right now. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I was like, well, you know, let me ask Jake. Because I knew what the song was already, and I was like, it's not Brooklyn's finest, but let me see what he's going to do, and let me just throw it on him. I said, well, what you do is you come to the studio and wait downstairs. I said, I'm going to ask him. Well, come to the studio and wait downstairs. He comes to the studio. See, he's roll up. she's rolling weed. I'm up in the studio. I track the beat. Jay does what he does to it. The song had two different titles. It would have been either once you once we get started or no more Mr. Nice Guy. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, the song was done and I go, yo, yo, you should put pig, you should put biggie on this. And he was like, I don't know that nigga. I was just like, I know him. You know, I'm, you know, the whole thing. So I acted like I had to go to the bathroom. I went downstairs. I brought him up. Everybody was like, Oh, you a funny nigga. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> Let's see if we'll
0: it works. And <laughs> like uh, to do me in. I ain't paid them yet. Trying to push seven hundreds, they ain't made them yet. Rolex and bracelets, cross two niggas running away, call me stick. you from? from? not
2: Yo, stop. This stop. They didn't even like speak, they just gave each other a pound and started laughing. And then Jay stood there, for 20 minutes, listening to the beat, goes back in the booth, changes everything, and comes out and goes, you ready? And Big was like, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) I was like, I told you, you don't write no rhymes down. Because I was on the tours with Big explaining to my man, don't write raps. He couldn't believe it. He was like, nah, nobody... First thing was getting him to actually think Jay was dope. So I'm on the road. I'm playing all kinds of shit for Big I'm telling you, my man's the illest. He's the best. (laughs) (laughs) So you trying to tell somebody who's being seen as the best that my man's the best. Don't worry. You know what I'm saying? What you thinking is cool, but my man is the illest. So he finally gets to the point where he is dead president's part two. And Un calls on the road and goes, Yo. Yo, you're mad, Clark? And he's big, did you hear this? And he's like, Oh shit, nah, that nigga's crazy, Clark. I was like, I <laughs> told you. So, you know, now but he has a level of respect now. Like, nah, that nigga's crazy. He's ill. So uh that happened that way. And 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 like I was telling him, like, he doesn't write the raps, you know what I'm saying? He just he thinks now. He was like, oh, ain't nobody doing that shit now. Because he writes. So he's like, you can't be that ill and you don't write. Yeah. He saw the shit happen in front of him. So Jay went in the booth and changed changed verses and left space and came back to the space and came back after leaving the space and was like, yo, you ready? And Big was baffled. He was like, nah, man, let me get that out. I'll go, let me write that out. <laughs> but from that point on, he was like, "Clog, how he do that? And I told him how he does it, and he never wrote rhymes again. Wow! Did you? I'm always uh um,
1: wondering when I interview folks. Do you recognize the moment that you're in? Like, did you know
2: that? Oh shit! This is going to be a historical moment. No, I just knew it was going to be a great record. Nobody knows when history is happening. It's it's impossible to know when it's happening. Did you know that reasonable doubt was going to be? I knew it was a great record. I knew we were making a great album. I can't say I knew we was making history because what if we sat down there believing we was making this great album and then nobody believed it? Wow. Think think about this. We make this album. It only goes gold. Two albums later, he's multi-platinum. Now everybody goes back and goes, oh. It's true. So how do we know? We knew. Y'all didn't know. You had to catch up. Took y'all two albums later for you to go back and go, oh, no, that might be the best album we've heard from this guy.
1: You you also uh produced Players Anthem. Yeah. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, was Lil' Kim's first appearance yeah. on a record.
2: Right. I used to pack packs and
0: Cadillacs Now I pimp in the axe Watch my back Mines in the store glocks in the back Maximin you mini markets getting money with the egg, but that's the best jet Yes, it's the miracle. Bitches squeeze your dick. Niggas grab your genitals, proteins, and minerals, exclude the limitals. Big bombers shoot the
2: game over. Trust open. me, I will say this. <laughs> the first time I heard Big mumbling to it, I knew it was gonna be a crazy record. That I, as soon as I heard him mumbling, yeah, I was like, oh shit. And, I was, and and the funny part was, as soon as he did that, he was like, are we going to go home? I was like, what are we going home for? We're going to the studio. Yes! Because I was <laughs> like, I know this is going to be a crazy record. If that's what you're going to do to it, I'm like,
1: oh, we good. And uh, how did uh, how you feel about Kim being on the verse and, and Kim's verse? And did you know that the, there was a, that kind of it star power um,
2: with her as well? As soon as you heard her, you knew it was on it pop. As soon as you heard her in the booth, we might not have known beforehand that she was a real, she was really going to be rapping, you know, but as soon as you heard her in the in the booth, you were like, oh, shit, nigga's in trouble. Everybody's in trouble because she rhymed as hard as the dudes, if not harder than most dudes. Her and my cousin, her and Foxy, they rhyme harder than everybody. So your cousin's
1: Foxy Brown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How did you discover that she had musical talent?
2: Well, she was doing it. She was doing it and would be telling me like, oh, you got to hear me rap. You got to hear me rap. And, you know, in all fairness, I looked at her like she's my little cousin. So like, yeah, you might've been rapping, but like, I, what are you talking about? You're not supposed to rap. You're my little cousin. And she got connected to Smooth the Hustler and Trigger the Gambler and was rapping with them. And they would be like, yo, your cousin. And then one day, I had to pay attention. I was like, what the fuck? Like, yo, she's wow, she sounds wild. She sounds like one of the little homies, but she sounds ill. So me and Jay was doing this record. I mean, Jay was doing actually we was we were doing Tell Me How It Feels. Mm-hmm. And he had us, he had somebody to get on the record. And it was a girl from the Bronx. And she got on the record. And I was like, okay, it worked out right. But then when it got to doing Ain't No Nigga, I was like, you got to put my cousin on the record. He was like, I'm telling you, put my cousin on the record, brought her to the studio. I called Pooh. I was like, yo, bring her to the studio. As soon as they walked in and they started hearing it, they were like, oh. Yeah, it's gonna be nuts. No, I was like, Yes. Making me weak. y'all
0: know how it goes be, so I stay deep. What up, boo? Just keep me laced in the illest snakes. Mm. Bake rolls of shit. back rubs in the French tub. Smacking this bitch, wifey nigga. So when you flip that coat, remember the days you was dead broke. But now you style and I raised you. Basically made you what you would flipping weight, hair on the shit. You know the pussy what? is all that. That's why I get baguettes. five carrots and all From From that. From shake
2: up on her. I mean and then I, think about this, she's my cousin, but she's connected. It denies, but Hove is. Yeah, it's
1: funny that my grandfather is a credited writer on Ain't No Nigger.
2: He's in, He he was one of the spinners. He or was one the, of the writers of the group. He was or one the, of the whole damn whole damn family. Whole
1: damn family. He was the executive executive producer of that record. That's crazy. And he's a credited writer hmm. on that. Hmm. I
2: was like, oh shit. <laughs> That's dope. Yeah. That means he's getting he's getting chipped off because that record took a lot of publishing.
1: He's doing all right. He's doing yeah, all right.
2: That record took a lot of publishing.
1: His name is August Moon. Yeah.
2: Okay.
1: I want to okay. get into Biggie and the Life of the Death album. My favorite Biggie song is Sky's the Limit. As you
2: should be. Oh. Um. A nigga never been as broke as me. I like that. When I was young, I had to play leads, Besides that, the pinstripes and the gray. Uh-huh. The
1: one I wore on Mondays and Wednesdays. Uh-huh. While niggas flirt, I'm throwing tigers on my shirt and alligators. Uh-huh. You wanna see the inside, but I see you later. They come the drama. Oh, that's that nigga with the fake. Uh-huh. Wow. Why you punch me in my face, stay in your place, Play your position uh, my uh-huh. go in pocket rob him, rob him, uh, he he uh, uh, the reason why it's my favorite song is because it I think it, it, it for one, it evokes so much emotion. when I hear it, you just want to tear up because you hear the struggle of of being in his early life, uh
2: the life he was living, and where he wanted to go um, it, what you actually heard was a story about him. Telling about him. Yeah. And that was something you just didn't hear on big. Uh, It was his favorite song. Like I could have quit. I could have never made a record after that. uh, What was that session like? First of all, when he heard the beat, like he started mumbling the hook. So I was like, damn, this is going to be crazy. But Akineli wanted the beat. So I was like, I'm not even going to tell him the same shit that I told him about Brooklyn's finance. I just was like, yo, would you want this beat or not? He was like, yeah. And I was like, yo, it costs this much. He was like, nah, Clark, you trying to buy a condo on me. (laughs) And I'm like, nah, dog, I mean, you know I get paid to make records. It's going to cost this. Nah, man. I'm like, okay. So even though Big had already said, put this away, save it for me. My first answer to him was, dog, you're not making no records right now. We doing junior mafia. You're not making records. I'm not holding a record. He was like, You gotta hold this record for me. Even though I know it's a, I already gave it to Akanelli. I go to Ak. I go, yo. He was like, nah, I can't pay that. Sauce Money had it. He was like, nah, Jay passed on it. Jay and Big, Jay and Sauce both passed on the record. Players Anthem. Jay had it. Sauce had it. L.O. Cool Jay had it. J walks in the club, here's the record, and it's like, yo, Clock, I need a joint like that. You had it. It, it, it sounds like a- I I was like, like you had like it. LL record. You had it. Why didn't you do Player's Anthem? You had it. <laughs> he was like, I ain't had that. I was like, yeah, remember the silver tape, the tape, silver Superman Incorporated tape? Listen to it again. Set the first beat on the tape. And I gave it to him. The first beat. Yo, on the tape. it was foul that I gave it to him. Because I every record went to Jay first. It was Jay, sauce, everybody else. And I gave it to him because when I was making the tape, I had just made the beat. So I was like, I'm putting my in." And in my mind, I'm going, he's not going he to get it. But Jay will. And Jay didn't take it either. But Big heard Players Anthem was like, yeah, we're going home. But when he heard Sky's a Limit, he was like, hold that. Like, don't give it away. And I had already given it away. So I had to go ask the guy who I was giving, giving it away to. This is how much it costs. You paying? No? Okay. Not yours.
1: And unfortunately, in 97, they passed away. Right. Um,
2: well, you asked how the session was. Yeah, how the, the session go? The session was simple. It was, he already had the hook. It was, who's going to sing it? On the original multi-track, it's big singing it. And then it was bringing um, one, one, 112 so that they could sing what he referenced already. So Biggie and wrote the chorus. Biggie wrote the cho- it, it. It's a jack of a D Train record yeah. called "Skies." I mean, called um, "Keep On," and um, he used that as the hook. Had One Twelve come and sing it, but he had sang it already, and it was good. The way he sang it, it was good. It's just that he's not a singer, so and he came and he did it. And when we finished mixing it, like they kind of depicted it at the end of. Um, the Notorious movie, where he was like, yo, I made it. Mm -hmm. When that song was playing, but in that session, he was like, this is my best song. He said, this is my favorite song. Not my best. He said, this is my favorite song. I was like, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it wasn't, oh, shit, then. It was like, all right. But then later, it was like, oh, shit, this dude said that was his favorite song. But he's, he's... at that precise moment, he's one of our favorites. He's not the greatest. You're not thinking that. You know what I mean? You're going like, you're hey, one of my favorite rappers. You're like, you are one of my favorite rappers. You are one of my favorite rappers. Jay-Z is the best MC. You're the best rapper, jay Z's best MC. If the full thought would have been all the way there that he goes, this is my favorite, the best record, I, my favorite record that I've made maybe I would have been a little more aware of what was happening. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. you don't get aware until later when the song is playing. Maybe I would have thought, okay, I made history then. But you don't think that until when later on the record comes out and people are going, that's my favorite song on the album. For the same reasons that you're stating. It, like you, It was introspective. There was no introspective big records. The, all of them were super tough, hard records. There wasn't... A nigga never been as broke as me. Do you think that that
1: him writing that song at that point in his life, because you you, knew, you had known Big for
2: when he first came on? Mm-hmm. I knew Big since he was like eighteen or nineteen because I heard him rap. I knew who he was in the hood. I knew who he was. You have to understand, like Un and Just and all the guys who were his record label, Entertainment. They were my man's. Mark Pitts is my little man. Um, you know, like everybody who he was around was my guys. Like, how did he change? Um, he didn't. From, from he that? just was rich. <laughs> he just was rich. He's the same guy I met on St. James and Fulton Street. Even, he even with all that was going on with the East nah, Coast, West Coast, and he, all that. What did he do when all that shit went on? He ignored it. You know, I ignored it because he knew all of it was bullshit. That wasn't real. That wasn't real. That wasn't real beef. Like, he knew, like, like all of it's based on lies. So what was he going to do? I, I'm, I'm going to verbally joust with you? Nah. For what? For lies? That sounds crazy. We from Brooklyn.
1: I, I got the chance to interview um, uh, John Bettis. John wrote uh, Michael Jackson's Human Nature off the Thriller album. Uh-huh. And... It's my, oh, yep. yes, he
2: did. Yeah,
1: it's my personal favorite. Um, Michael Jackson record, Michael Jackson record, my personal favorite song of all time. Okay, and um, I asked him how it felt that that was the last song played at Michael's funeral. That was his song, and I asked him the story of that song. And uh, because the song ended up being about Karen Carpenter uh-huh. and um you know, her untimely death due to anorexia and the stress and pressure of fame and how that song became uh, the the story of Michael Jackson's life and how that felt that that was the song that was played uh, uh, of Michael's at his funeral. And so for Big, this song kind of reminds me of that same feeling um, of Big's life, him telling his life, him telling his story over record. And unfortunately, he passed away uh, before the album came out. Like, how did you feel that, that particular record came out at that particular
2: time. Um, I think I would probably have to put thought to that because I really didn't have feelings at that moment. Like we're there, you know what I'm saying? Like we're going to another party. His car pulls out one way, my car pulls out the other way. Wilshire is here. the The exit out of the the museum is there. I pull up here. His car stopped pulling up. The light changes for me. So he has to stop and I have to drive off as soon as you pull off, you hit a shot. I'm on videos. You can see it. Like I'm I'm there. There's like, I'm, I probably might have bought more champagne than anybody there and didn't drink one glass. And everybody was like, fuck is wrong with you? Maybe I knew. Maybe I felt something. Uh, what, what was it like? And, the, what was it like at the party that night? It was crazy. And it was sort of off at the same time because I was just like, why are you here? Like, why? Before the party, we were all in a hotel room. And I was like, don't go. Like, you don't have to do this. Why should you? I don't even know why you're here.
1: Wow. Were, were you there at the um the funeral in St. James, the procession? Of course. Uh, what was that like? Um
2: It was it was like <laughs> <clears throat> It was, can you ever um, imagine trying to be like away from yourself and like eight stories up and look down yeah. at the whole scene? It That's what it was like. It was like, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is that that's going on? Because you're in it and you're in a car and you got tears in your face. Everybody in the car is in tears and the universe is going crazy because people were going crazy outside. And we're just in this car following a casket. Um, And as, as happy and as proud as you felt that, that style was acting the way they was acting. You were like, but my man had to die. You know what I mean? It, it, my man had to die because of some lies. Like, that's some corny shit.
1: Um, how did the landscape of
2: of hip-hop change um, after that? I'm going to say the music changed. And the the bar that was set by a Big, by a Jay-Z, by a Nas, by a Snoop, by all of these guys kind of got moved out of the way. Because Big was the best rapper you ever heard. So it was like, you were trying to be a better rapper than that. Yeah, Jay is the best MC, but you really were trying to be a better rapper. Because if you're a better rapper, you sell millions, obviously. Hard Knock Life, better rapper. He became a much better rapper. The songs were bigger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I I mean, the commission doesn't get made commission doesn't get made. The album that I was going to be one of the main producers on doesn't get made. It was going to be Jay, Big, Clock, Charlie Baltimore. It was going to be nuts. The commission was going to be crazy. No more records between Jay and Big. No more records between the two best and they were from Brooklyn. What have you sacrificed
1: to be great? Everyone wants to achieve greatness. Everyone wants to be popping. Everyone wants to be lit, but not everyone's willing to do the sacrifices that it takes to be great. What did you personally give up um, to be great?
2: A lot of life. A lot of life. Um, A lot of... I sacrificed the fuck out of time. You know what I mean? Like, I, I... I didn't get to do all of the shit that all kids got to do because I was in my crib playing records. Uh, I, I was playing clubs when I should have just been at the club. Mm. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm almost, if, if, if I kind of, I kind of believe that I'm a cool guy. I'm almost awkward at a club unless I'm DJing at it. So I, can't really like go to clubs and enjoy it because I'm such a DJ and I'm such a music like junkie that if I go to the club and the DJ can't play, now I'm mad. Like, why am I here? You know what I mean. So I'm awkward at a club. So I I, I sacrificed just being able to live regular and and do regular shit, and I sacrificed a lot of life.
0: Mm.
1: Well, Clark, thank you so much for being here on the show. No problem. You're a blessing, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. We yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much to the Silent Giants behind this episode of the Silent Giants Podcast. This episode has been mixed by Mark Bird of NBM Studios, located in Astoria Queens, NYC's number one recording studio for music, podcasting, and other audio recordings. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at NBM Studios NYC. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Signing off till next time.